Good morning. Today's reading is from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and John 20 and 21. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. John 20, 21 says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for um, this morning. Thank you, God, that we can um, sing um, humbly and truthfully that, um, that every hour, um, every day, God, we need you, uh, that we needed you right from the womb. We needed salvation in you, and God, we need you to, uh, to uh, sustain us, to bring us all the way home. And uh, Lord, thank you that you are um, faithful, uh, that you are with us, you hear us, you see us, um, that you care um, for our most intimate thoughts, our pains. Um, and Lord, I just, uh, I pray today, Lord, as we uh, embark upon this sermon series, Sent, God, I pray that we would, um, we'd be reminded of the God who created us is the same God who um, sent I'm the same God who went, God, that you are ascending, uh, going, God. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the cross. I thank you, God, that we are cross-shaped people. As someone said, that we are people of the womb and of the tomb. And uh, so, God, please uh, uh, enliven our hearts today. And, and um, Lord, just uh, remind us of uh, your mission and compel us, God, by your mission to live on mission ourselves. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Well, hey, good morning. We, are, uh, we just finished up uh, the sermon series on first, from 1 John called Blessed Assurance. And this is just an appropriate response the next three weeks um, where we're going to be teaching through this sermon series called Sent. And today it's, uh, we titled the sermon, The Mission of the Church. What's the mission of the church? And um, it's, today you're going you're gonna to probably leave... Um, um, wanting more. Uh, you're going to probably leave wanting more about um, our strategy and our call to, uh, to not only go, but to send people out. Um, but I promise you that this series will unfold over the next few weeks. Next Sunday, um, we're actually going to profile um, three um, church plants that are on the horizon from Windsor Community Church. Um, and, um, and then the following Sunday, we're going to actually talk about what does it mean for those of us that are called to not go right now, but to stay. Uh, what does it mean for us? So uh, today we're just going to, uh, today we're going to unpack the uh, biblical theology, if you will, of mission and the church's mission. And I want to say right up front that the mission of the church is intentional, it's relational, it's sacrificial. And it's gospel-shaped. 
There is no mission in the church without sacrifice, without relationship, without intentionality that is uh, not motivated by the gospel, that all mission uh, is motivated by the gospel. Catch and release is what mission is. That God brings people in and he sends them back out. That he catches them, if you will, and then he releases them to mission. Um, I am a fly fisherman. Actually, my daughter is here, so she would know that that's a lie. I fly fish. There's a difference. Um, I fly fish. I have a rod. I have probably 30 flies. I have some string and something's called a leader that I don't even know how to tie the knots, but I like to fly fish. I've been doing it for about 10 years. And I remember the very first time that I fly fished, actually it was the second time because Nancy and I went like 30 years ago, with my son-in-law, Jared, who is like a master fly fisherman. We went up to the pooter to one of his hot spots, and, um, and I, had, I, I didn't even have any boots. I just had keen sandals and, um, and shorts. So it's kind of a laugh, laugh, laughing stock already. But I remember uh, arriving there, and I saw a sign. What do you think the sign said? Catch and release. Like, I grew up fishing with worms and power bait and fireballs and salmon eggs and lures. And there's no, like, you catch the fish and you eat it. You don't catch the fish and release it. Like, what's up with that? So we, we, we get in the river and we're, like, walking upstream, mind you, if you fly fish. You walk against the current. It's, like, thigh deep. The pooter's coming down, knocking you over. Slippery rocks in sandals. My toes are coming out of the sandal. And, and we're, we're throwing the fly into the perfect spot between where the, where the running water meets the calm water. And that's where the hungry fish feed. And then I catch fish. And I had to release the bloody thing. Well, that's just, that just shouldn't be the case. And I was, and I was trying to think, why, why, what is the purpose of catch and release? And I Googled it last night. Catch and release fishing improves native fish populations by allowing more fish to remain and reproduce in the ecosystem. Makes sense. I thought it's really similar to making disciples. That if, you, uh, if people come to faith and they just stay in the church, there's not going to be reproduction, other than maybe through birth, but certainly not by going out and living on mission like we see modeled in the New Testament. There's also something that called raise and release. If you've had kids, you know what I mean. If you have adult kids, we have three kids. My oldest, Natalie, then Mitch, then Joey. And they were raised in our house. We fed them most of the time and for 18 years. We, we trained them. We loved them. We disciplined them. We did our best. And, um, and you can have the illusion, particularly when they're younger, that they're just going to be with you forever. And I know that's the case with some of millennials, but it's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> No, it's not. I'm a boomer. I'm expected to make jokes about millennials. But we raised these kids knowing all along that we were raising them to release them. But all three kids went away to college. Natalie went to UNC. Mitchell went to Colorado Christian. Joey went to Grand Canyon University. And all, they all stayed in the dorm. And I knew, because when I left, when I left the home at age 17, I never came back. And I knew that, like, there's a chance that this is going to change forever. And so all three kids, um, I, I don't know if you remember this, Natalie, but, like, I ugly cried. 
When I dropped you off, you don't remember that? Like, I ugly cried, and it was worse. Not so bad with your daughter, but with my two grown sons, like, like just sobbing as they're walking to their dorm like I'd never see them again. It's a reality that we are to, um, we're to build one another up to release one another. Somebody once described Jesus as a, a spiritual tornado, that um, everything or everybody he brings in, he spits out. He sends out. So, sorry, Kevin. I don't know if that's me or it's usually me. Um, back in, in uh, 2001, um, we were a part of a church for the previous seven years. Yikes called Mountain View Community Church in Port Collins. Um, and uh, we, we were there for seven years. We were there from about 94-ish till 2001. And it's a church where my wife got saved and baptized. Um, two of our kids got saved and baptized. And um, actually, uh, two of the three spouses of my kids came out of Mountain View Community Church, either directly or indirectly. Um, it's a place where I went to Pastors Leadership Institute. Um, I led a small group. I was being trained and groomed for church leadership, even though I was a stockbroker at the time. And then in 2000, um, a bunch of us started getting together and thinking about planting a church in Windsor. In 2001, I think it was August of 2001, we were sitting in the front row. Do you guys remember where we were sitting? Front left, right? Facing up to my right, front left. And Vladimir Navarro, the worship leader, was, was playing the song, singing the song, I Surrender All. And all five of us were just sobbing. You know what was changing? The kids were staying in their same school. We were in the same house, eating the same food, same dog. Um, our church was changing. And uh, we were so connected to our church that it was, uh, it was one of the hardest things we ever had to do as a family. God, creator God, has been on a rescue mission since the moment that our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed his one command to stay away from the tree and, and eat from all the others. They could eat from all the others, stay away from the one tree. And at the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed, that they heeded the temptation of the enemy, and they ate of the only tree they were not supposed to eat. That, that very moment, all of humanity was cursed or doomed. Every human being had a sin nature. But at that same moment, God engaged in a rescue mission. A mission to save his creation from the penalty of their sin, our sin, and to bring us home or bring us back into a relationship with him who created us for such. His mission is intentional, it's relational, and it's sacrificial in both the sending and the going. The God who sent is the God who went. And I'm just going to, I'm going to walk you through some scriptures today just to give you a reminder of why we would ever live on mission. It's not to gain anything of ourselves. It's because God gave everything of himself, and that informs uh, the way that we're to live on mission. So let me walk you through some scriptures, starting with Genesis 3.15. You know the scripture. Um, the snake or Satan had just tempted Eve to take a bite from the tree, and she gave, one, gave the fruit to her husband who also ate of it. 
and, um, and God just pronounced a curse on Satan. And then in verse 15, chapter 3, he says this, I'll put enmity, speaking to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or seed and her offspring or seed, if you will. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What This is called the proto-evangelism in that um, God right from the beginning uh, prophesied that one would come forth from the seed of the woman who would deal a death blow to all that is evil. And even though um, evil would bruise his heel, it would not keep Jesus down. Genesis 3.21, it says, And the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The first deaths should have been Adam and Eve, that God could have wiped out humanity forever at that point. But he created humanity so that we would experience his love and be in relationship with him. So instead, he killed two animals, and he clothed Adam and Eve. And then Genesis 3.23 through 24 it says, God sent Adam and Eve out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which Adam was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That humanity was banished from God's presence. But there's a thread that runs throughout the entire Old Testament. And this thread creates an expectation of a rescuer who would be a descendant of the seed of Adam and Eve. God sent a seed to rescue and redeem a people for himself. And then if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 12, we see a seed that is uh, coming through Abraham and Sarah that will bless all the nations and will have a great name. And then in 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 through 9, the prophet, God spoke through the prophet, prophet Nathan to David and said that I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. You see, God was doing something in history, in the history of Israel that has its genesis in a promise given in Eden. The promised missional seed is taking shape gradually. Then in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, Mary discovers she's expecting a baby. The uh, angel Gabriel appears to her and says that the baby in your womb will be great. He will be great. Clearly picking up the phrase that had already been made to both Abraham and to David. And then in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and verse 14, we, we see that the seed arrived through a virgin birth and he dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mission is intentional. It's relational. And is sacrificial. John 3, 16, 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And brothers and sisters in Christ, should I use the handheld mic, Kev, do you think? Or we all right? Okay. We are sent once. 
He didn't just, um, um, Jesus didn't just go and the Father didn't just send so that we can um, be comfortable here on this earth, that he was sent so that we too would be sent. John 17, 18, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying to the Father and says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Then after Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 20, verses 20 through 22, Jesus shows the disciples his hands and says this. He said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When you read this, do you think this is for somebody else? Is this for the Old Testament saints? Is it for just pastors and leaders and seminarians? Have you ever considered what it might have to do with you and me and this church in northern Colorado? The mission of the church is to intentionally, relationally, and sacrificially make disciples. The mission of the church is not to plant churches. It's to make disciples. And planting churches just happens to be the most effective way of doing it. Let me give you a case study from the book of Acts. In chapter 8, well, let me go back into uh, chapter 2. Jesus ascended to heaven. He gave the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon God's, uh, the disciples or the apostles. Peter preached the great sermon in chapter 2, and 3,000 people came to saving faith at that moment. And after they came to saving faith, it says that they, um, they lived in community with one another. They broke bread with one another. They had favor with those who were perishing, and many came to faith. And then there was a man named Saul, who was a Jewish, a very religious, a very devout religious man who, um, who persecuted the Christians. And one Christian in particular, his name was Stephen in Acts chapter 6, I believe, where Stephen was stoned to death, and Saul was there observing it. Sorry, I'm just really distracted by my mic. And Saul observed it, and um, Stephen was killed, and what happened after that is all the Christians in Jerusalem, except their leaders, scattered. They left Jerusalem. They ran for their life after seeing Stephen killed. And while they were running, you know what they were doing? They were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very news that caused Stephen to be killed, the very news that, that, um, that caused their lives to be at risk, they were running for their life while proclaiming the gospel. And many of them ended up in a town 300 miles north of Jerusalem where they fled from in a town called Antioch. And in Antioch, they proclaimed the gospel and many Gentiles came to faith. And if you pick it up in Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 26, it says this. The report of this, of what? Of many Gentiles in Antioch coming to faith. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch to see what's up. When he came, he saw the grace of God. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. 
So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why Saul? Saul had come to faith. Saul the persecutor now became Saul the evangelist. So Barnabas went to, he needed help in Antioch, so he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for an entire year, Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas is seeing the evidence of God's grace, leaves and tracks down Saul and then goes back to Antioch to strengthen the church. And the crazy thing is, is that Saul, who is the instrument used by the Lord to scatter the people, is also the means that God uses to gather the church in Antioch. And let me tell you just a little bit about the church in Antioch. It was a vibrant church. It was a gospel-proclaiming church. It was most likely an expositional church where they taught through the Word. It was a church that understood biblical community. It was a church that left on mission. It was a church that had good leaders. Apparently had five good leaders. Maybe more, but five were mentioned. And this church in Antioch became the first sending church that we read about in the New Testament. First sending churches, they commissioned Saul and Barnabas to go make disciples and to establish these converts in local churches. Listen to Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Man, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord, they as the church family, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I don't know if you can feel the weight of that. They just ran from Jerusalem, running for their life, faithfully sharing the gospel, People are coming to faith. The church in Jerusalem sends a rescuer, if you will, a kind of, kind of the, uh, the Calvary and Barnabas to help them um, be strengthened. Uh, Barnabas goes out and gets Saul, come back, and now the Spirit of God is saying, I want Barnabas and Saul to leave. Saul was most likely the lead pastor. Barnabas was most likely the lead encourager. And so they're sent off on a rescue mission, one that would be intentional, relational, and sacrificial. Not only for Saul and Barnabas, but for the church. Not only was there a cost for Saul and Barnabas, there was a cost for the church. Saul and Barnabas were loved and valued body parts. And it wasn't all roses. It wasn't all cake and roses for Saul and Barnabas. While they were gone, they traveled um, hundreds of miles. Saul at one point was beaten or stoned, actually, kicked out of a town and left for dead. But then they come back 
after many people coming to Christ and some elders and churches being established on the first missionary journey, they circle back to report to the church in Antioch in chapter 14, verses 26 through 28. They come back and report on the work that they were commissioned to, and as it, as it says, by God's grace, it was actually fulfilled. The Great Commission, Heather read it, is for us. It's for us. And I dare say that many churches, very many comfortable churches like ours, that we don't fully engage. We take bits and pieces of the Great Commission so that we can live the comfortable life that we want to live without sending, sacrificing and sending out our best and without the rest of us asking God, me too, do you want me to go? The Great Commission starts like this. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, after he rose again from the dead, he came to his apostles in the upper room and he, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He says, go and make disciples. You see, where the church has lost its way is we see disciple-making only in the classroom within the four walls of the church. You see, making disciples starts with making converts in the harvest. And that's what he's talking about here. Go and make disciples um, in the harvest through evangelistic efforts proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, the Great Commission is not just a call to make disciples or make converts, but to establish converts in the local church. In the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament, it's clear that baptism means incorporation into a worshiping community with accountability and boundaries. Baptism and joining the church go together. To be baptized is to be added to the church. You join the church by being baptized, if you will. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this, after the 3,000 came to Christ. So those who received his word, in other words, those who believed were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That baptism doesn't make you saved, but baptism identifies you with the church. Baptism is what gets, got you killed in the New Testament. You can have a private faith, but it's a public baptism that identifies you publicly with the church and the cornerstone of the church, Jesus Christ. And he says, then teach them to obey. And then he gave the amazing reminder that I'm with you always until the end of the age, that we do this, we live on mission uh, by his power and for his glory. And any good fruit that comes out of this church or this ministry or any ministry of any time in the past is a result of his power, and he's the one that, that, that bears the fruit. We don't bear fruit. He bears fruit for us. And I'm going to make a bold statement here. The only way to truly be sure that there's an increasing number of Christians in a particular town is that there's an increasing number of churches. And that may seem odd to you, particularly in northern Colorado when there's a church on every corner. So why would this be? 
Evangelism over the last 100 years has been centered around getting people to make a decision for Christ. Make a decision for Christ. Experience, however, over the last 100 years shows us that many of these decisions disappear and never result in changed lives. And the gospel always results in a changed life. Sometimes it might be raisins, but there's always a trajectory of growth. So many decisions are not really conversions, but are only the beginning of a journey of seeking God. Some decisions are genuine conversions. But only a person who is being built up in the context of an ongoing worshiping and shepherding community called the church can finally come home into a vital saving faith. And this is where leading missiologist Peter Wagner says this. He says, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven. I don't know how it can be that um, 15% of the population are part of an evangelical church in America. Yet 40% of America claims to be Christian. There's something amiss. How are you a Christian without being a part of a church? I know there are some, but I can guarantee you they're getting tossed to and fro. They're getting kicked in the teeth by the enemy. So planting churches is the most effective evangelistic method known under heaven. Back then there were no churches there's a church on every corner. What do we, is it still an effective strategy? Let's look at church attendance in America. And for those of you that are not like numbers and statistic geeks like me, uh, go ahead and um, check Facebook or something here just for a couple minutes. I love these numbers because they tell a story. In 1776 in America, 17% of the population was part of an evangelical church. In 1916, that number grew to 53%. But after World War I, that I think ended in 1919 or thereabouts, after World War I, especially among mainline Protestants, church planting plummeted for a number of reasons. Tim Keller says it was because of one factor, and he called that factor turfism. That a denominational church would move into a town and say, this is my town. No more churches in this town. And that's when the the denominations started forming and becoming territorial. Not that denominations are bad. Don't hear that. But church planting plummeted after World War I because of what Keller calls turfism. In 1990, 21% of America is an evangelical church. 2010, 16 and a half. 2015, 15 and a half. And the stats look like in 2020 is 14.7% of America is a member of an evangelical church. You wonder why the things that are happening in our country are happening in our country? Let me tell you this. Uh, Nobody in the White House is going to fix it. Nobody that you can vote in is going to fix it. We should vote for the best candidate that protects things that we value. But the only thing that's going to turn those numbers around is this thing going up my nose. (laughs) Gee, many. Is the church. And the church 
Engaging in a relational, intentional, sacrificial mission, holding out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only hope for these numbers to turn around. And by the way, they are going the other direction in other countries. They're going the other direction in the Middle East. They're going the other direction in China. They're going the other direction in the Czech Republic now. Western Europe and the United States, where the gospel was originally proclaimed, particularly, um, particularly Western Europe and Turkey, by the way, the numbers are down. So today in America, of the approximately 350,000 churches that are here, four out of five of them are either plateaued or declining. We need more churches. We need to revitalize older churches. Get this statistic. One American denomination, I think it was Southern Baptist actually, recently found that 80% of its, cur- of its converts in this denomination came to Christ in churches that were less than two years old. You take the largest denomination in America, and they look at all their converts, and they say that 80% of people that came to Christ in that denomination came to Christ in churches that were two years old or less. We can argue all day long, what are we doing wrong as established churches? Or we say, let's join the party, and let's start more churches. New churches best reach the unchurched. Lynn Schaller says this, Dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members, they, they say 60-80%, from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body. Let that sink in just for a minute. That new churches, if you've got 100 people in that new church, 60-80 to 80 of them are going to be coming from are, are people that were not part of a church. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of their new members by transfer from other congregations. This means that the average new congregation will bring in six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. And I would ask you, is our goal to grow this church or is our goal to see God use us to grow His kingdom? Are we willing to make sacrifices in going and sending in order to see God's kingdom increase? The vigorous, intentional, relational, sacrificial, continual planting of new congregations is the only hope for evangelizing the world, the United States, and northern Colorado. We're part of a church planting network called Crossway Chapel. It's a fledgling network. About 23 churches, I think. A couple in the womb. The mission of Crossway Chapel is to plant and support healthy reproducing churches and regional networks of churches around the world for the glory of God. And I'm passionate about this organization for several reasons. One is that we belong to it as a church. Two is is that um, I get to um, lead the Colorado churches and the Western region and be a part of of the um, international network of churches. If you look at this screen up here, um, you'll see that uh, right now um, 
I'll get to the United States in a minute, but we've got uh, seven sister churches in Crossway in the Czech Republic. We've got two in Nepal. Um, we've got a yellow one there in the Middle East that we'll talk about next week. That's a, that's a, a, a potential future church plant. And then the blue ones are not part of Crossway Chapel, but those are the missionaries that we support, Bob and Gita and Maimuna and Blessing and Sunday in Nigeria. If you look at the map of the United States, Crossway Chapel has two regions. Um, to the east is the light green. To the west is the dark green. And um, our desire is to have more regions with more churches. Whenever, the, whenever a particular region ends up having three or four churches or a particular area, geographic area, we'll establish a region. But if you um, look up there in Montana and Wyoming, you're going to hear more about this next week, is that we get to be a part of what God's doing in Bozeman, Montana, and we get to be a part of what God's doing in Sheridan. Those green are, are, um, are seedlings of church plants. But if you look at Colorado, we specifically as a church have an intentional focus in Colorado. You might ask, why Colorado? Why Windsor? Why Greeley? Have you noticed that this area is growing? Just a little bit. In 2017, Colorado had 5.6 million people. Larimer and Weld County had 650,000 people. In 2040, Colorado's projected to grow to 8.5 million people, and northern Colorado is almost going to double to 1.2 million people. And some of you might say, well, tell me more about that Sheridan church plant um, so I can get out, of, get out of Colorado. And by the way, most of that growth in northern Colorado is going to be in Weld County. It's not going to be in Larimer County. Uh, and, that is, and it has nothing to do with Larimer County being a great place to live. Um, it's going to be, we're going to be, um, we can't afford it. Um, I just got a thing from a group publishing, actually their friend sent me, that had the, uh, the average home prices in northern Colorado. Um, you know what it is in Boulder right now? N average, $950,000. Um, Fort Collins is, is going to follow that because there's not much more room to, uh, don't go buy a rental house because I'm saying this, by the way. Uh, we, yeah, don't blame me for that. Um, but, but where young families are moving, they're going to be moving to eastern Colorado because that's where they can, uh, that's where they can um, afford. Uh, probably um, Eaton and um, Severance and uh, Greeley for sure. Um, but if you look at, if you look at Colorado, uh, the next slide, church attendance in northern Colorado, 650,000 people right now. Uh, if you take 14.7% of the U.S. population that is in a church, that means about 100,000 people in northern Colorado are part of an evangelical church. Um, you're better at math than I am. That means that there's a half a million people that are either far from Christ or not plugged into a gospel-preaching church. And brother and sister, church planting is a stewardship issue. Um, this church is not going to um, just, um, just grow for the sake of growing. We want to see God's kingdom grow, and we're going we're to um, send our best and encourage um, others to go with them. So it's a stewardship issue. If you look at the Crossway Colorado map, um, I want to show you something here. We'll talk about it. I'm not supposed to turn my back, but I, don't have the, I can't read my slide here. Sorry. So please forgive me for that. Um, we've got five churches right now. We've got two in, um, two in Fort Collins, the Crossing and Mountain View Community Church, one in Loveland, which is Redemption, one in Alt called High Plains Harvest, um, us here in Windsor. The green one is um, Greeley. Um, it's a seedling. And then the yellow are hot spots, places that we'd like to plant churches in Wellington, um, in Eaton. Um, in uh, Johnstown, in Berthoud, etc. Um, I want to invite up a good, good friend of mine, 
named Clark Richardson. Some of you know Clark. And his bride, Tricia. Hi. Good to see you. Clark is, um, first of all, would you welcome Clark? Windsor Community Church. So Clark is, um, I've known Clark for over a decade. And, um, but I've really gotten to know him well in the last uh, six months. No lie, right? I mean, we get together every week. Eight months, but who's counting? Just feels like 12. Yeah. Uh, but Clark is a, uh, um, try to, I'll try to nutshell this with you. About two years ago, uh, the five churches in northern Colorado determined that we really wanted to see God's kingdom grow and ask God if he would use us in that process. And so we, uh, we felt like we, want, we would be better together. We're still autonomous churches with separate elder boards, but we wanted to align ourselves so that we could work together to plant more churches in Colorado for His glory. And uh, one of the things we did is we started a joint pastor's leadership institute where we have four of the churches that have 11 men that are meeting on a weekly basis to train them up and hopefully to send them out. Um, something else we did is we, we, de we determined that we needed somebody, a, a person actually, to align us and unify us in, in greater ways. So um, <coughs> we, we interviewed four men, and um, Clark ended up on top of that pile, um, which was uh, awesome. And uh, so Clark has been with us since July, been on staff since July, and he's what we call our executive administrator, if you will. And, and he does so much, but his whole job is really to, is to help us have the healthiest of churches and help us plant healthy churches. So he's just going to share a little bit about his story. Thanks, Dan. It's a privilege to, to step in while it's Dan leading you through the Word and just be able to share a little bit about what's um, going on in our lives. Um, some of it uh, has to do with just a little bit of what I'm doing, but also just our story as a family and, um, and all that. It was good to, it's good to hear some of the history of Windsor Community Church because we were kind of in Illinois looking on from a distance when, you know, when uh, not even in the network yet. And um, so to hear some of the stories of, of just sacrifice and the ways that um, God blessed you as you did that, it's, it's pretty amazing. I think I heard back then that um, everybody that, everybody, the, the resources, the funding, everything that they sent in, from Mountain View to Plant Windsor was replenished at Mountain View within nine months. So it's just a blessing to God as you give and you're generous that God, God uh, replenishes so that the church can grow and plant more churches, right? So... Um, but what a privilege I was thinking about as we talk about the network and you see it, uh, you know, across the globe and as it's growing to be a part of this bigger whole and to have these visible, visible representations of here, this is the kingdom of God that we're a part of, not just a local church. Um, what a privilege to love our church, Windsor Community Church or whatever church you're a part of, but, but a privilege to be a part of this larger larger hole called Crossway Chapel. Um, the goals of it are to train together, to grow together, to figure out how to better um, uh, reach these towns that you saw the yellow dots up there um, and one green one, Greeley, um, with the ministries that we've got going now and to, to train together and plant churches together. Ultimately, not so that there's more dots on the map, right? But so that there's more people who are without hope and coming to Christ to, to have hope for all eternity. And that's the burden of it, and that's what we're seeking to, to be a part of that, of that small sliver of, of God's kingdom, that we can, we can be impactful. Uh, we would just delight in that. But, but in the middle of that, a tiny part of that bigger story is that I get to be this administrative pastor to help uh, serve the effort, to, to bring together, I wrote down the words, Dan, intentional, relational, sacrificial partnership. 
that we have together um, as churches. And it's just a joy to be a part of that, that calling. And, and that's the calling that God sent us here for. We, we, just as we had gotten um, at this stage of life, just trying to be open as to what God would have um, us do for probably a, a good portion of the rest of life is, is um, to be sent ones. And, and so that's the calling God has, has sent us here for. We left Crossway Chapel, Fox Valley, which is one of the dots up there, um, as Tom Harkis, who planted Mountain View Community Church, uh, the first Crossway Chapel, is now there by a series of sovereign circumstances that God, he's there leading that church forward, which freed us up to be able to come and, and serve in this role. And, and so in this role I'm stepping into, I get to coordinate and administrate, help implement and, and serve the vision, not just of one church, but of five churches. And so it's a joy to go from being at 25, I was part of a church planning team. We started a church and then, and then 10 years later, I got a chance to reboot or replant that church. That's Crossway Chapel, Fox Valley. And then now I get to serve lead pastors and church planters, and, and it's just a it's just a privilege for me and um, and to be a sent one in that way. It's kind of my small uh, little niche of being sent in the larger mission of God in the world. Um, but Dan also asked me to share a little bit of the transition, kind of what it's been like for us to make this transition from uh, from Illinois to here and. Um, it would have statistically passed the half point in life, right? I'm 51 now, so um, we're past the half point. At least I hope so. <laughs> I, I want to see Jesus before 104, you know, that'd be good. Um, but I can't express enough the challenges that go with that, and many of you know these kinds of challenges from moving and transitioning and all those kinds of things, but also the grace of God in our lives and, and through his people, um, the church. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's hard. This is hard. Like if, it, like Dan was saying earlier, if it's not hard, something's wrong. Like if we're leaving our church and it's like good riddance, you know, that's that's not good, right? So we left a lot of relationships and a, a, a tight relationships with four other elders that I served with there, and stay connected with them now still. And and then then to have five kids, we have five children, and one one's in Nashville. He's a musician right now. He just started off in life, and then a daughter who's graduating from Wheaton College in Illinois. She's going to stay there, so they're further away from us now, and we love our kids. Um, we don't want them living in the basement or their whole lives, but yes, we, we love them. And, and then we've got three here that are going through their own transitions and their own stories. Um, God is kind to bring people like Aliyah and makes the, makes the story a little bit better for Gracie, and yeah, she's waving her head. And then um, my two boys in high school are um, you know, making the transition, and, 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 and each one of them have their own stories of how it's been hard and challenging and all those those things. And, and then um, my wife, Trisha, um, has been the most impacted by this, I think, because her whole life, her entire family, her two brothers, all the nieces and nephews, her parents, and, and her whole life, she was born in the Midwest and has been in the Midwest um, her whole life. And um, so this has, been a, this has been a significant challenge. And, and so um, everything is left there, like her parents, her brothers, um, and some of you won't understand this, and I get it. I, I understand it somewhat, but and her genuine love for the Midwest is left in Illinois, right? Yes. So, okay, we have somebody from the what state? Wisconsin, Ohio. Where are you from? All right. Well, that's Michigan. We have a cottage. Her family has a cottage on the lake, and it's, there's a lot of memories there. We should talk afterwards, but but maybe not too much, right? <laughs> so. Um, 
But yeah, so she just has this genuine love for the Midwest. I'm from, I was born in Dayton, Ohio. I lived in California for 15 years and, and, and then in Illinois. And so I've been around. It's a little more natural for me. But for her, it's just been uh, been super challenging, and and we would like to be able to. Um, I asked her if she if, if we we were hoping that maybe she would share some thoughts. Um, it's just not time for that yet. Um, so um, um, because it's just so raw and so challenging, and and Dan asked me to give the real story, right? And I don't want to candy coat it or try to make it sound like it's. Uh, what did you say earlier? Cake and. Um, Cake, something, flowers and cake or something, I don't know what it was. But, um, you know, we'd love to be able to say, hey, you know, the sacrifice for the kingdom, boy, that's just our perspective, and it's, and we're just sliding right into that, and, and, and you know, compared to the, the New Testament and the sacrifices they made, it's nothing what we're going through, you know, and all that, but, but we're just not there. You know, we're not at that place yet, so you can continue to pray for us and pray that God would just continue. He's so patient and kind to work on us and to make us more like Jesus in the midst of, of hard things. And um, we've had, you know, we've had a few people um, with great intentions, like, you know, super good intentions, just trying to love on us, say something like this. Like, this is the kind of the category that they'll say something like, you're moving, you moved from Illinois, and they usually make a face like that, kind of like, and you're like, they don't even know they're doing it, but Illinois, to Colorado. Like, what's not to like, you know? And, and so, to colorful Colorado, which, by the way, is not colorful. And I hate to say it, but it must have, it must have been, somebody's got to give me the background on, this, on that sign between Nebraska and, and Colorado that says, welcome to colorful Colorado. And you look up and there's like brown, gray, and brown, you know, it's like, and so um, some of that's some of the stuff where if you know the Midwest, you know that it's just lush and green and lots of colors and, and, and all of that. So, um, and they'll say, well, what's not to like? You go, well, there's a lot to like, but what if everything you love and everyone you love is still in Illinois? You know, God's bringing special new relationships and all that, and it's awesome, but, but um, it takes on a new look, right, in the walk of faith at that point. And, and so, my bride has been impacted the most by all of that, and um, she has fought hard to embrace what God has for us, She's delighted to serve, and she loves people, and she's seeking the Lord with all of her heart, and she loves me very well. Um, and so I'm grateful for her, and God's at work to make us more like his son. Um, a point of strength for us, an anchor for us, has been Psalm 25, verse 10, which says, all the paths of the Lord, hear this now, no matter where you are in your life right now, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And so, so we know, and, and you do too, you have many different experiences that can speak to this, that whatever God has in store, all the paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. And we've had this picture of, of these strong guide rails, right, that here's the path going forward, and steadfast love and faithfulness are the, are the things hemming us in. And we can look back at that story, and you can look forward by faith in that story that every path that God has you on is going to be filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. So I was just thinking about that in terms of Windsor Community Church, too, that as you guys, as God's uh, prompted, prompted your pastors to lead you and lead you in this community to, a, to be a more missionally focused church and to continue to be ready to be sent and to see uh, body parts moving and people, you know, transitioning and those kinds of things in and out. And, and as God moves resources around, um, 
you're going to have to joyfully cling to these guide rails too, aren't you? That steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what God has for Windsor, Windsor Community Church as it seeks to be an impact um, in the world. And so you're going to have to stay joyfully inside those guide rails too, right, um, as the Lord leads. You know, I was thinking of how it, just God's mission is like this joyful disruptor of our, our easy lives, of our comfortable lives. The joyful disruptor of our comfortable lives. Um, and he is unfailing in his commitment to that mission, but we have to remember that he's unfailing in his commitment to the people who are on that mission too. And so his paths are filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. So I'm excited with you, Dan, brother, and the other pastors, and as you lead the church forward um, for the series, for the mission focus, and the things you're going to be hearing about with with um, Greeley and, and um, Sheridan and Bozeman, Montana, and, and all that God is doing, and, and on from there, there's it, a lot of adventures ahead for uh, what God's doing. We, we are dependent. We are deeply desperate uh, for his help. You can keep praying for our family, and uh, we need friends, you know, so... Um, but we're expectant, and we know God's in control and, and has a lot of his steadfast love and faithfulness ahead as well. So thanks, Dan, for letting me share a little bit, and, and um, trust the Lord that he has his favor ahead. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, let's, uh, let's pray for these, this dear couple over here. As the worship team makes their way up, I shouldn't go down here. Yeah. Yeah. I am a little bit uh, bitter that still that you guys ended up in Mountain View and not here. But we'll, uh, I, I pray for you guys every day. Um, Clark said that, that um, intentional, relational, and sacrificial actually stands for IRS. He said that last time. So I might want to change that. But you, you added um, vigorous, I think. So now it's verse. Verse. I like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, for your... Um, for the promise, a God of salvation in Christ, and I thank you, God, that uh, we get to look back and uh, see that um, that your plan was never thwarted, that um, that you um, sent forth a seed, God, that would um, go all the way through uh, the, the Old Testament and would uh, manifest itself in the womb of Mary and that uh, and in the person of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you. Um, who knew no sin became our sin, that you who lived the perfect life um, died the sacrificial death in our place. And God, thank you for the Richardson family. God, I thank you that you have um, called them uh, to yourself. And God, I thank you that you have called them, uh, set them apart for this season in uh, northern Colorado. And uh, Lord, I thank you for their transparency. God, I thank you that we can be that kind of family, extended family, that it's okay to uh, process out loud. And, uh, Lord, I just pray for um, the Richardsons. God, I pray that they would find um, home here. Um, Lord, even uh, just feel like a temporary home, that they'd be loved well, uh, they'd be served well. Uh, Lord, that they would um, love and serve well themselves, as I know they already do. So, God, thank you so much for this dear family. I pray, God, that you would bless and protect them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship. Shall proclaim to the 
God. 